ಶ್ರೀಹರಿಂ ಪರಮೇಷ್ವರ ವ್ಯಾಪಕ ಸರ್ವೋಕಾಮ್ಯಹಂ so we are studying aparoksha anubhuti and we were on verse number i think it was 26 we had done 26 and we are on 27 so what is going on here in sanskrit it is called atma anatma viveka it means differentiating between the self and the not self between who i am and who i am not and by differentiating between these two we gain knowledge of who we truly are you see vedanta claims that we do not know who we really are it's a startling claim i suppose we we think that we really know who we are and that's the first thing that we know but vedanta says we do not truly know who we are and this not knowing who we are is at the root of all our suffering the whole project in vedanta is to overcome suffering and suffering is due to this thinking feeling experiencing ourselves as this limited uh, finite individuality this person of flesh and blood this body and this mind and this little life this is who i am this feeling that we have the the complete conviction that we are this this is at the root of our suffering and why do we feel this why do we actually feel this you see it's because of the body you see it all centers around this body this limited body i think i am this body if you ask where did the body come from according to vedanta the body is a product of our karma actions which we have set in motion in past lives this this produces this body these actions are in the form of what is called dharma and adharma good actions and naughty actions and good actions give rise to happy experiences and not so good actions give rise to not so happy experiences and for those experiences we have this body so this body is actually the effect of our past karma now why did we do that past karma at all why did we do any karma because of raga dvesha raga dvesha the sanskrit terms raga dvesha means raga means desire wanting grasping thirsting raga and dvesha means dislike aversion so desire and aversion desire and aversion are, are at the root of my karma and why do we have desire and aversion it is because of this duality which we experience in this world there are things out there which i want and there are things which i want to which i do not want which i would rather avoid so pleasure and money and fame and success and health long life people in my life relationships we want these things failure sickness death who wants them anyway so desire and aversion this these things propel us through life and give rise to various uh, various karmas good karma bad karma and the karma gives rise to its effects finally in this life we have a body 
you know, people desires of uh, getting something or getting rid of something are very interesting. People want money or fame, they don't want certain other things. And the same thing can be an object of desire and can be an object of aversion. You want to get it and some other people want to get rid of it. I see in this country many people are, are, are very worried about weight. You want to get, lose some pounds, get rid of, <laughs> rid of weight. Now, I was always very skinny. So when I joined the order many, many years ago, um, once I went to, I can tell his name, Rivet Swami Atmasthanandaji Maharaj, who is now the president of the order. He is a very strict, very senior monk. I bowed down to him once and I asked for advice. I was a new brahmachari, spiritual advice. And he sort of glared down at me and he said, his spiritual advice, he glared down at me and he said, Put on weight. <laughs> no spiritual advice before you put on weight. <laughs> and so that is an object of raga. How do I put on weight? And then the many people are there who want to get rid of, they want to lose weight. Dvesha, we want to get rid of weight. And in this way there are many things which we want in life at different times of our life and many things which we do not want. And all of them are prompted by this sense of finite individuality, this sense of dvaita, they call it duality. I am this and here is this universe before me. There are things in this universe which would be nice for me to have and there are things in this universe which are very unpleasant for me. And hence I act from that point of view. And why do I have this duality? You may say that's, that's a fact, this is the universe. But Vedanta claims it's not a fact. Vedanta claims the sense of duality is an error. We do not know who we really are. That we are one undivided consciousness, Brahman. We do not know ourselves as we are. This not knowing ourselves is called ignorance. Ignorance. And this ignorance is at the sense of duality. Vedanta claims if we truly knew what this universe is and who we are, we would see non-duality. We would experience this universe as a non-dual reality, appearing as duality. Remember, the moment you say see something, there's an element of duality involved already. But you know it to be non-dual and you experience the richness of duality within that non-duality. The reality is non-dual, the appearance or the experience is dual. Right now our problem is we consider duality to be real. Separate individual, here is this vast universe, duality. Because we do not know the non-dual reality, because of ignorance comes the error, from ignorance comes error. Don't know it's a rope, appears to be snake. Now oh, you're becoming good Advait, non-dualists. <laughs> there are these classic examples used in uh, Advaita Vedanta. One is a snake and a rope. The rope is mistaken for a snake. So it's really a rope, but you see it as a snake. And then when you recognize it's a rope, the snake disappears, you see it, it was a rope all throughout. Another classic example is um, seeing silver in, in nacre. That means um, on the seashore, there are these shells, and they sometimes sparkle in the sunlight. It looks like silver. So people make a mistake. They think it's silver, but it's not silver. It's just a seashell or it, it's nacre. 
So seeing a silver in a in nacre or seeing a snake in a rope is an example of error. And why, where is this error born of? This error is born of not knowing the ground of that illusion. The ground of that illusion for the snake is the rope. The ground of that illusory silver is the nacre. Now sometimes students get it mixed up. I just remembered many years ago, there was another brahmachari, a novice, and I was also a novice. And he had gone for some special lessons in Vedanta from the teacher, from the non-dualist, the Advaita teacher. And he was coming downstairs, and I, or he was coming, climbing upstairs, and we, I was coming downstairs and asked him, oh, so what did you learn today? He said, oh, I learned about seeing the snake in the nacre. <laughs> what? The snake in the rape, nacre? And he said, no, 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 I saw the silver in the rope. Silver in the rope? You're getting it all mixed up. So, ignorance leads to error, the error of duality. From the vision of duality comes likes and dislikes, raga dvesha. From our strong likes and dislikes are prompted actions, dharma and adharma, good and bad. And these lead to results which give rise to this body and this life of ours. And our, all our misery is rooted in this limited life. So the goal is to know ourselves as we really are. If you know the rope, the problem of the snake disappears. In the same way, if you know yourself and the universe as one non-dual reality, then the problem of suffering will disappear. Now, let us go to verse number 27. So this discussion is going on. The whole purpose is to make us see we are not this limited body and mind. We are the infinite existence, consciousness, bliss, Brahman. 27. Nirguno nishkriyo nityo Nirguno nishkriyo nityo Nitya mukto hamachyutaha Nitya mukto hamachyutaha Naham deho yasadrupo Naham deho yasadrupo Jnanam ityuchyate budhehi Jnanam ityuchyate budhehi Nirguna, without any attributes, Nishkriya, beyond all action, Nitya, eternal, Nitya Mukta, eternally free, Aham Achyutaha, I am of unchanged nature, or unchanged essence, and I am not this body, which is dreamlike, Asadrupa, Mithya, an appearance. This is knowledge. The wise, Buddha, the wise say, this is knowledge. What's its opposite? Ignorance and error. What's the ignorance? I do not know I, I, that I am Satchidananda. And what's the error? The body which appears in my consciousness, I think I am this body. I do not know the rope, I think it's a snake. I do not know myself as unchanging consciousness, existence, bliss, I think I am this body and mind. This is the uh, example and exemplified setup here. Let's take it one by one. Nirguna. Beyond any attributes, without attributes. Attributes or qualities? I am the consciousness devoid of all attributes. Swami, are we supposed to believe that, take it on faith? Or put it off? Yes, we'll sometimes say that, um, well, yeah, no, you don't have to take it on faith, but you can experience it. That really doesn't help us because experience takes 40 or 50 years of dedicated practice. 
and we sort of scratch our heads and think, well, I guess it's possible. No, what they are doing here is they are pointing it out to us. Right now, right here, you are the attributeless consciousness and you can see it. You can, you can appreciate the fact. How? Think about attributes. All qualities or attributes or properties belong either to the world or to the body or to the mind, not to the experiencing consciousness. Think about it. If I say, you are attributeless. Say, no, Swami, I am fat. I need to lose weight. What is fat? The body is fat. Or the body, somebody scolded me. Swami, don't say fat. That's very bad. Say, well built. <laughs> You're talking about the body. It's an attribute of the body. If you say you underweight or overweight or whatever, it's an attribute of the body, obviously. Is, the, is pure consciousness overweight? I hardly think so. So the, that's an attribute of the body. I am feeling tired. That's an attribute. Ah, but is the tiredness in you, the observing consciousness, or is it in the prana? The pranic, the life force is flowing through us. I am hungry. That's the prana. I am tired. That's the prana. I feel energetic. That's the prana. You are the one who is aware of the energy in your body-mind. Isn't it true? But I feel depressed. I feel sad. Or I feel happy. Aren't those attributes? We can immediately say, of course they are attributes, but we are aware of them. Where are those attributes? In the mind. Consciousness, pure consciousness is neither sad nor happy. It illumines the feeling of sadness or happiness in the mind. I have desire. I want this. The mind, the desire comes from in the mind. Proof, are you aware of the desire? Of course I'm aware of the desire. That's why I say I'm, I have desire. Ah, but you're making a mistake. If you're aware of the desire, where are you aware of the desire? Is the desire out there in the world? No. Is it in the body? No. Is it in the mind? Yeah. The desire is in the mind. And you know the mind. You are the consciousness which was aware of the mind without desire. You are the consciousness now aware of the mind with desire. And very soon, trust me, you will be the consciousness aware of the mind where desire, desire has disappeared once again. Like clouds passing across a blue sky. White clouds and dark clouds and rain-bearing clouds. It all comes and goes. Except the rain-bearing cloud doesn't come to California. But... <laughs> The, or it does but doesn't rain but the rest of it it all comes and goes you are aware of it nirguna the one which is aware of it what attribute does it have the one which is aware of it or the overweight body or the underweight body the sickness or health or energy or hunger in the prana the feelings in the mind the understanding in the in the intellect Oh, I understand Vedanta, I get it. Do you get it or does the intellect get it? The intellect get it, you light it up. You are aware of it. Just now notice that, it's a fact. Be careful, I'm not denying that the body may have problems, the, the prana may have problems, the mind may have problems. It may have, but, it, but put the problems where they belong. Don't appropriate it to yourself, the observing consciousness. 
the observing, the consciousness, the witness consciousness, that which lights up the mind, that, what quality does it have? What attribute or what property does it have? You may say, oh Swami, well it has, you can say it has the property of witnessing. Sat, Chit, Ananda, existence, consciousness, bliss. Doesn't Vedanta say that the ultimate reality is existence, consciousness, bliss? So are those not the attributes of the ultimate reality? How can you say the ultimate reality is nirguna, beyond qualities? But those are not the qualities of the ultimate reality. Those are the ultimate reality. It's like saying um, the flower is red. So the flower is the object and the red is the property, the attribute of that object. The object is not itself red, its color is red. The object is the flower. In the same way Vedanta says, you are not something which has the quality of existing, quality of consciousness or quality of bliss or attributes of existence, consciousness, bliss. As Swamiji put it so precisely, it is not that the self exists, it is existence itself. It is not that the self is conscious, it is consciousness itself. It's not that the self is happy, it is bliss itself. So the reality is existence, consciousness, bliss. Those are not properties of reality. There's not so, so some other reality which has properties of existence, consciousness, bliss. Nirguna. In the midst of all gunas. In the midst of all, in the midst, you are right here, right now, in this body, in this mind. This body has properties, attributes. You are white or brown or Chinese or black. The body is overweight, underweight, old or young, fit or sick. The mind is happy or miserable or it has depression or it has ecstasy or whatever. All of those are attributes of the mind and body. You are right here illumining all of that. But you yourself are without properties. Every day in the Vespers in this temple we sing, Nirguna Guna Maya. The characteristic of the ultimate reality is it's without qualities, pervaded by all qualities, in the midst of all qualities, of all attributes. So beautiful ascription, Nirguna, beyond all qualities. Another um, thing to think about, supposing the ultimate reality, you the pure consciousness, suppose you have some quality or attribute, how would you even know? If you know that the ultimate reality has this attribute, then who is seeing that? Who is witnessing the witness? You can never, if you witness it, if you know it, that, that, that myself has this quality, what you know is not yourself. The one which knows is yourself. Do you follow this? It's logical. The Brihadarnik Upanishad says, Vigyataram areke navijaniyat. My friend, by what will you know the knower? How, what knower will know the knower? By what, what can you know the knower? Nishkriya, without action. In the midst of all actions, we are without action. What do you mean, Swami? I drove up all the way on 101 and came here with so much difficulty and you say I'm without action. Did so much action today. Action of the body, of the car, of the body. That action is in the car, it's in the body. And breathing in and out, this is also action. <sighs> Digesting food, 
circulating, blood circulating in the body, all of these are actions. Where are they? In the prana. You know it. You are aware of it. Is it in you or in the body? It's in the body. It's in the prana. I am thinking, Swami. I'm trying to understand all this Vedanta. Isn't that action? Isn't that mental action? True, but look at the language. Mental action. Action of the mind. The observing consciousness, that which lights up this drama going on in the world, in the body, in the senses, in the mind, this drama which is going on, that, that light which lights it up right now, giving us all these experiences, in that light what action is there? Someone says that, suppose you're, you say witness consciousness, so witnessing is also an action? Ah, but witness is not used in the sense of an action. In Vedanta, they make a distinction between witness and the knower. Sakshi and Pramata. Sakshi, without any action which shines forth. Pramata, which uses that consciousness through the mind to know things in the world or, or within us. So, knower, action. The action of knowing. When I see something, there is an action. I bring my eyes and focus it on this object. Then... The image is formed within, in my mind and I think about it and I recognize it. Here is a glass with water. All of this is action at a subtle level, at the level of the, of the sense organs, at the level of the mind. But the consciousness which illumines the whole thing, that is not acting, that just is. And the proof of that is when all action ceases, when we go to sleep, when dreams cease, in the complete absence of everything, the consciousness alone shines, illumining the absence. You see, you are aware of action in your waking state. You are aware of action in your dream. And in deep sleep, what is deep sleep if not the awareness of absence? The absence of all action. No action in the world, no awareness of the world. No action in the body, no awareness of the body. No action in the mind, no dream, no thinking, no remembering, no feeling. Even the I thought, I am sleeping. If you think that, you are not sleeping. Even that is not there. Complete absence illumined by consciousness. A beautiful example for that is the darkness of deep space. It seems to be dark out there in deep space, outside the Earth's orbit. But it's not dark. It's full of sunlight. It's only that there is nothing to reflect that sunlight. If a satellite goes there or a meteor goes there or a comet passes, it will blaze forth with the light of the sun which is right there in deep space. So deep space is dark, but it's full of light. It looks dark. Do you get this? You need something to reflect that light. In, in our deep sleep, there is no world, no body, no, no mind. Nothing happening which can reflect the light of consciousness and make us aware of something. So consciousness itself is without action, nishkriya. Being without action, without change, nityam, eternal. It neither is born, nor does it grow old, nor does it die. Nityam, eternal. Nitya mukta, always free. Here's something interesting. Always free. We think about ourselves as 
you know, human beings, we are trying to, I, I often say this, we, are, we think of ourselves as human beings trying to have a spiritual experience. But the truth is, we are spiritual beings having a human experience. We often think of ourselves as, here I am, this person, I'm coming to Vedanta, I'm trying to learn Vedanta, I'm trying to meditate, I'm worshipping God, and I try to do good deeds, karma yoga. And one day, I shall realize myself as Brahman or Atman, and I shall be free. I've got news for you. That's not true. And you'll go, oh. <laughs> uh, actually, the news is, the truth is even better than that. The truth is, it's not that you are bound now, and then after some spiritual experiences, you'll be free. Enlightenment does happen. But after enlightenment, what do we know? We know that not only we are free, we know that we always were free. And we always are going to be free. We realize ourselves as that unchanging consciousness, the ground of all reality, the oneness of the entire universe, which is always there and is there right now and will always be there. In fact, was there, is there and will be there. It's all talking in terms of time. Accepting time, then we say Brahman was there, will, is there, will be there. Actually, even time is within Brahman. It, it's something that appears in Brahman. You, Brahman. That's what sometimes happens, you know. We say, okay, Brahman doesn't seem to have problems. He's this the big guy, Brahman. But I'm the small guy, I have problems. You are Brahman. Nitya Muktaha, eternally free. That's how we, we realize ourselves. Achyutaha. Achyuta means that which does not change its essential nature. Think about it. All changes in the body, in the mind, in the world outside. What is Vedanta telling us? What is Shankaracharya telling us here? He is telling us. It's a remarkable thing that he is telling us. He is telling us, I know that you are sometimes sick. I know that your body is sometimes healthy. I know that the body was once young and, and now it's getting older. I know that in your mind sometimes evil thoughts come. Sometimes mind is uncontrollable. Sometimes there is hatred, anger, irritation. I know all that. I know that the, the intellect is clouded by ignorance. I know all that. Knowing all that, I say, right now, you are the eternally unchanged existence consciousness bliss. Why? Follow this carefully. Achyutaha, unchanged nature. Every change is in Maya, not in the light which shines upon and through Maya. Every change is in Maya. Body changes, that's part of Maya. Mind is changing, that's part of Maya. You are the light which lights up this entire game. You are the light which lights up Maya itself. In you there is no change. And therefore you are achyutaha of unchanged eternal nature, of unchanged essential nature. And what am I not? Naham deho yasadrupa. And I am definitely not this body. Not this body, which is like a dream body. In our dreams, we, we experience a body in which we do many things. When you wake up, we, we realize the whole thing, the world and the body I imagined in the dream were all part of my mind. I was imagining it. My real body was lying on the bed and sleeping. Exactly like that, 
this real this body we consider to be real body in the waking state this is also something that appears in our consciousness mithya asad here means mithya something which appears but does not exist of its own it has no existence of its own gyanam ityuchyate budhe this is called knowledge as against ignorance the ignorance which says i am this little person which it mentions on your passport or driving license i am this little person if you say that and you say that's all i am then that's ignorance what's knowledge i am infinite existence consciousness bliss now that does not mean you're going to throw away your passport it's wrong and now from now on i'll introduce myself as it at infinite consciousness and existence and bliss don't talk like that some people start talking like that after attending a few classes in advaita vedanta here i am infinite existence consciousness bliss localized in a product of five elements this body and shining through a mind but i am the unaffected infinite consciousness who is speaking to you now no you can just as well say i here i am swami speaking to you but you know internally what you are naham deho yasadrupa gyanam ityuchyate budhehi once more very quickly nirgunaha without qualities i transcend all qualities i am the witness of all qualities all qualities and attributes are in the body in the mind i am aware of them i illumine them and they exist i'm not denying that in the vyavaharika transactional empirical world those things appear but i am not those and they are not mine they are not my qualities they are not my attributes the good attributes and the bad attributes none of them are mine i shine upon them equally nishkriya all actions you're not denying that actions take place you i'm not denying that you drove over on the 101 in your car all actions take place in the midst of all actions you are the actionless consciousness all the time nitya eternal body is born and the body will die sorry to give you the bad news the body will die things come up and things diminish and fade away in this world all things which are produced by work kritakam all things produced by work anything that's born of a cause will come to an end the greatest of good deeds all come to an end the worst of disasters we recover from that also anything with a cause an effect will come to an end but we are nityam eternal because achyuta of unchanged nature as existence consciousness place let's go to verse number 28 nirmalo nischalo nantaha nirmalo nischalo nantaha shuddho ham ajaro maraha shuddho ham ajaro maraha naham deho hyasadrupo naham deho hyasadrupo ज्ञानम मित्युच्यते बुधैहि ज्ञानम मित्युच्यते बुधैहि आई एम फ्री ऑफ ऑल इंप्योरिटी निश्चलः आई एम द अनमूविंग अनंतः 
I am without limit, infinite, Shuddha, I am the pure, Ajara, I am without old age, good news again, Amaraha, I am beyond death, I am the deathless, I am not this body which is a false appearance, such is, uh, is knowledge, this is what is considered knowledge by the wise, Jnanam ityuchyate budhehi. Nirmala, mala means impurity, I am beyond impurity. That's great news, but really is that true? We suffer from so much guilt about impurity. Again, I am the witness of the impurity in the body. Even when the body is impure, who knows it? You, the consciousness, knows it. When you clean it with soap and water, who knows it? The consciousness knows it. Okay, I feel pure now. I've taken a bath. Now, did, did you wash the consciousness with soap and water? No. Who knows it? Who knew the impurity? And who knows the purity? It is the consciousness alone, which is, which is beyond, is not touched by that impurity. Think about it this way. There's some dirt out there. Now the place is dirty and you ask somebody to clean it up. The space there in which that dirt was, the clay or concrete or something, some rubbish, the space there, was the space polluted? I'm, uh, be careful, I'm not saying was the place polluted. You might say the place was dirty. All right, I agree. Was the space ever dirty? No. Sky, the space itself, is not affected. If space itself is not affected, Something subtler than space, the consciousness which, is, which illumines space, which is aware of the space, how can that consciousness be, uh, be, be polluted by physical dirt of the body? So, cleanliness is next to godliness. That is true. That is true. So we must be clean, absolutely. Our surroundings must be clean. Our clothes must be clean, and physically we must be clean. Mentally, in our, in our speech we must be clean. In our thoughts also we must be clean. But know that it is only next to godliness. And godliness is exactly what you have. Because you are one with God. We are one with God. Cleanliness, of course, at the level of the body, of speech and mind. Kaya manavakke, at the physical level, at, the, at our transactional level, and at internally inside us, thoughts, feelings, emotions. Nirmala. What are, kind, what are the kinds of impurities that have to be cleaned up? At the physical level, of course, physical cleanliness. But in our actions, adharma, impure actions, that which I know to be wrong, my own conscience tells me that it is wrong. I must, part of sadhana is to come out of that. And transform my actions from what I consider to be immoral or indecent actions into moral, a clean life. At the level of emotions, negative emotions, hatred, lust, irritation, anger, greed, cleanse that and replace them with positive emotions of equipoise, serenity, peace, love, compassion, that is cleanliness at the level of emotions. There is a deeper level where the mind is scattered. The scattering of the mind is another kind of impurity. All the time, 
It's especially when we try to meditate, we realize how scattered our minds are. One thing which is common in all spiritual retreats, one common question in India and in the United States will be, Swami, I can't concentrate. That's because the mind is scattered. And it's a natural state of the mind. The mind has to be gradually trained into concentration. And there's a whole science for that. That's another kind of impurity, the scatteredness of the mind. And then the final level of impurity, the deepest level of impurity, is ignorance. Not knowing who we are. Not knowing who we are. Thinking ourselves to be this limited body and mind is impurity. And that impurity is removed by knowledge. What knowledge? Vedantic knowledge. Which, by which we realize who we truly are. First, read about it, hear about it, think about it, meditate well upon it until it becomes a living truth. Then only ignorance is truly removed. So the three levels of impurity. Impurity at the level of our lives. Moral impurity, which is immorality. That has to be removed. Then at the level of the mind, scatteredness of the mind. That has to be removed. And at the level of knowledge and ignorance, at the level of the intellect, ignorance has to be removed. The three kinds of impurity are called mala, vikshepa and avarana. Avarana literally means the veiling, veiling of our true nature. That is removed by knowledge. Vikshepa, scatteredness. That is removed by meditation. And mala means all our desires, accumulated uh, greed and the negative patterns of behavior which we have become accustomed to without knowing it, what we have programmed ourselves into. Those are overcome by um, spiritual practice, especially by karma yoga, by karma yoga. But all through, all through, I am the pure Brahman. I am the pure Brahman. Even when all the impurities are there. If you say, oh, all the impurities are there and I am pure Brahman, then why struggle all those uh, karma yoga and uh, raja yoga and bhakti yoga, all those struggles, why go through all that? And why remove the impurities then if I am without impurity? Let the impurity be there at the level of the body and mind. Well, if they are there, there will be two consequences. One is you will suffer. One is you will suffer. Unless one is a realized soul, one is deeply tied with the body and mind. I think Swami Pavitrananda used to say, I heard it somewhere, that do not, do not abuse the horse from which you cannot dismount. If you are, do not abuse the horse which you cannot dismount from. So we are, as long as we are tied to this body, maybe by ignorance, but we have to take care of the body-mind complex. So Nirmala means uh, I am pure and then I apply sadhana to get purity at the level of body and mind. So the first thing is, if we don't have purity, we'll suffer. The second thing is, if we do not have purity at the level of body and mind, we'll be unable to realize that we are Brahman. The very inability to realize that we are Brahman, though we read about it, we think about it, we keep on attending classes, but it does not become a living reality for us, is because of this mala, of this impurity. Nishchala, this is very much like the nishkriya. Without action, unmoving, unchanging. Anantaha, limitless. Very profound word. There are these words in Vedanta which, which packs so much meaning into it. And if I, this, this very word itself, anantaha, without limit, it will take a whole class to explain. 
but let me try in about five minutes. I'll just pack it in. Very, pay attention to this. I'm going to go fast. Anantaha, without limit. I am without limit. I seem very limited. How am I without limit? And what does it mean to be without limit? It goes like this. Anantaha, the very, very term ananta means na antaha. Ananta, without any anta. What is anta? End. Limit. Vedanta. The limit or the end, the final uh, conclusions of Veda is Vedanta. Anta of Veda. The final teachings of the Vedas. So anta. Anta means a limit, an end. Ananta, no limit. What are limits? There are three kinds of limits recognized by Vedanta. In the world you will see three kinds of limits. The three kinds of limits are spatial, desha, temporal, kala, and vastu, object. I'll explain. Space, limitation in space, desha, desha paricheda, limitation in space. Limitation in time, kala paricheda. And limitation of object, and this is an interesting one, I'll come to that in the end. So, vastu paricheda, three kinds of limits. Paricheda is another Sanskrit word, literally means cutting off. Paricheda, cutting off. Space, that's easily explained. Things are limited in space. You are here means you are not there in, on the freeway or at home. You can't be in both places at the same time. You are limited in space. Not only in this room, you are in a particular position on a particular uh, pew or on a bench. That's the, that's the entire space that you occupy. If you leave that and come here, you are no longer there, you are here. So we are located in space. That's called space-wise limitation. Limitation in space. Everything has limitation in space. All that we experience in the world around us. This temple, this room is limited in space because there is an inside and there is something outside. So there's a limitation in space. Even California, believe it or not, is limited in space. Go a little few miles to the west, the ocean comes up. And that way, Arizona comes up. So it has, it's limited in space. Even the world is limited in space. The earth is limited in space. Even the biggest star or galaxy is limited in space. So everything has a beginning and an end. It's cut off in space. Now suppose there is something which is not cut off in space. It has no beginning in space, no end in space. What will that thing be like? What will happen to it? It will become omnipresent. There will be no space where it is not. What is the meaning of limitation in space? There is a place where you are and there is a place where you are not. But suppose you are not limited in space, what will happen? There will be no space where you are not. There is no space where you are not. And Brahman is supposed to be something like that, which is omnipresent. Sarvagataha, all-pervading. Then the second kind of limitation, limitation in time. Everything is created and destroyed. We are born and we die. So creation, before creation, did not exist. After destruction, does not exist. Before birth, is not there, probably. After death, won't be there. So the, if you go to a gravestone, um, a, a tombstone, it says something like, say 1901 to 2001 this guy lived for 101 years when it says 1901 to 2001 on the tombstone 
What does it mean? It's giving you the limits in time. Before this time, 1901, the guy was not there. This was the time he was born. 2001, after this, the guy is not around anymore. He's dead. So that's a limitation in time. When something is created, that's the beginning in time. Before that, non-existence. When something is destroyed, after that, non-existence. A lot of discussions about this, but we get the idea that there's a beginning and an end in time. Everything is cut off in time. We are cut off in time. Events in the world are cut off in time. Even impossibly long-lived entities, like the sun, for example, our star, billions of years old and billions more to go. But inevitably, one day, it will come to an end. And at the back, in the, in the unimaginable past, it had a beginning. It became a star. So, everything has a beginning and an end. In one of Tagore's poems, very beautifully, touchingly, he says, The leaf that falls from the tree ripples on a lake, ever widening. The same ripples go out to the stars, even the, even the suns and stars are dying. You see the comparison? The transitoriness of life, one leaf falls from a tree. And the very stars themselves are aging and dying. It's just the ripples on the same lake of time. Beautiful comparison. Cut off in time. Now, suppose something is not cut off in time. Anantaha. Not cut off in time. What will happen to it? Eternal. There will never be a time when it will not be. And there will never be a t when it was not. And there will never be a time when it will not be. There was, there, never, there was never a time when it was born because it always existed. And there will never come a time when it will die because it will always exist. Eternal. Nityam. Not limited in time means eternal. And the most interesting thing is not limited by object. Vastu Parichera. What is limitation by object? This is an interesting one. Follow this carefully. L limitation by object means everything is what it is and different from everything else. This, for example, is a book. Its identity is that it's a book, and this particular book. By this, we are saying it's not anything else. It's not a table, it's not a glass, it's not Swami, it's not the room, it's not California, it's not anything else. It's this book. In logic, they call it the law of identity. An entity is identical to itself and different from everything else. Otherwise, there would be no identity. So you uniquely this book is this particular book and not anything else. This is called Vastu Paricheda. All other objects in the universe are different from it because it's this book. And the same thing applies to each of us. We are this person and hence different from everything else. All other persons, all other animals, plants, entities, everything. Vastu Paricheda. We never think of this as a limitation, but it's a limitation because it makes you exactly who you are and nothing else in the universe. Now suppose, this requires some thinking, it's subtle. Suppose something does not have this limitation. What limitation? Limitation of being only itself and different from everything else. If something does not have the limitation of being itself and different from everything else, what does it mean? Follow this. It means it is not different from anything else. It means nothing in the universe is different from it. Which one? The one which does not have this limit. Nothing in the universe is different from it. 
There is no second thing in the universe different from it. No second, non-dual. So the thing becomes non-dual. No second in Sanskrit, na dvaita, advaita. We, I'll repeat that. Limitation as object means every other entity in the universe is different from it. It's only itself and everything else is different from it. No limitation as object means there is nothing that is different from it. No second thing apart from it. No second thing, non-dual. Advaitam. So that thing becomes non-dual. Now all of this put together means anantam, not desha parichcheda shunyam, divide of limitation in space, omnipresent. Kala parichcheda shunyam, divide of limitation in time, eternal. Vastu parichcheda shunyam, divide of limit, object limitation. For want of better words, I, can't, I can only use this. Devoid of object limitation, which means non-dual. Infinite, meaning all-pervading, omnipresent, eternal, non-dual. All of this packed into one little word, ananta. Ananta. Okay, I took ten minutes, but anyway, I think I did a good job. There's a lot of philosophy packed into <laughs> this one little word, ananta. And that's what we are. This infinite existence consciousness bliss is all-pervading, eternal, and non-dual. Let's take one little objection. You'll see how it deals, we deal with these objections. Why, Swami, there might be something far away in space, in deep space, a planet or a star which we do not know, just space itself. Right? How do you say that? That's not different from me. I may be consciousness, but how is that not different from me? That's apart from me, right? If you are existence consciousness bliss, look at the existence aspect of it. If that deep space far, far away, billions of light years away, if it exists, it exists because of you. You are pure existence. I'm not saying you are this person, Mr. So-and-so, or Miss So-and-so, or Swami So-and-so. No. As pure existence, you lend existence to the universe. Even space exists. If it is apart from you, what will happen? It will be apart from existence, becomes non-existent. So nothing which exists can be apart from you, by logic, by sheer logic. If you are existence consciousness bliss, and in this unlimited existence consciousness bliss, then anything in the universe which exists borrows, draws its existence from you. Too much to swallow? It's too much to swallow if you are rooted in the limited identity. I am this body. If I am this body, certainly the universe doesn't borrow existence from me. Certainly not. But if you are the consciousness, the awareness behind this body, okay, instead of going much further, let me just put you through a little thinking process. Thinking process. I'll give you an example first, then apply it to Vedanta. Let's see if, if we get it. Example, first an example. And the classic example they use in India, pots and clay. <laughs> Stage one, here's a pot. Imagine a pot sitting in front of you, nice round pot. 
Now, we introduce a concept. The part is an effect. The material, the substance, the material cause of it, it's called upadana karana, material cause of it is clay. Part is an effect. The substance out of which it is made, the, the material, the reality behind it, the thing itself is clay. Okay so far? Yeah, that's pretty simple. But no, already we have done something. The part comes and goes. Before it was a part, it was a lump of clay. When the part will be broken, it will still be clay. When it is a part, is it clay or not? You don't seem too sure. It's clay. Look at this. A log of wood was made into a table. And one day it will be broken. It's, it's again wood. Right now, it's a table. Is it wood or not? Of course. You touch it, you say touch wood. You don't say touch table. So it's wood. We know that it's wood. So the, the cause, material cause is clay. The effect is a part. And in the next stage, so already we have made an advance. That the part is not the reality. The material cause, clay is the reality. That's what is appearing as a part now. has been made into, given the shape of a part and the name of a part. The reality is the clay. Let's examine it a little more deeply. When you look at the top of the part, what do you find? Clay. Sides of the part? Clay. Bottom of the part? Clay. Inside and outside? Clay. In fact, the part is pervaded by clay. There is no, nothing in that part which is not clay. Right? Part is a name and a form given to clay. The reality is clay there. What about the water? Oh, I'm not talking about the water. Let me, let's, be, let's have an empty, empty pot. An no, empty no, pot. No, I mean, the substance is clay. But oh, okay. Uh, we, we, we're just ignoring that. You, you, can, you can take a, a table, which is mostly, I guess, wood, or a wave, which is water. Right? There's no other thing involved. To make a clay, you need water and some, something else maybe. Uh, to make a pot, you clay and water. So here I'm not taking the water aspect of it. So just the clay. So inside and outside, top and bottom, it's all clay. And there is, consider this, apart from the clay, there is no pot there. Think about it. Apart from the clay, there is no pot there. And we come to the conclusion... Even when the part is existing, it is clay alone which exists. The existence is of the clay. The name is a part. The shape is a part. A function, it performs the function of a part. It's useful as a part. But the existence belongs to the clay alone. It is clay alone. What do your eyes contact? A part or a clay? Or clay? Clay alone. What do you touch? You touch the clay alone. In fact, when the clay was made into a part... Nothing new was created. That might sound radical. No new thing was created. The thing is clay. So clay is real. Part is false in the sense it's an appearance, a name and a form given to clay. Fine. What have you accomplished? The part is still sitting there, nice and round and fat. What we have accomplished is we started up with a part, what is called part drishti. 
We started with the view that it is a part. We ended up at the end of the process with the view that it's clay. What advantage accrues thereby? What advantage do we get? The advantage is now we are not limited to the name and form. Now our attention is on the reality. Before the appearance of the part name and form, we know it was clay. It is clay now. When the part name and form disappears, we call it a broken part. We know it's still clay. As clay does not change. Same example, water and wave, golden ornaments, wood and table. Example. Now let's apply it. Follow this carefully. At the end of this process, understanding of Advaita will ensue, and will, will ensue, but a lucky few might get enlightened also. Who knows? Here we are. Okay. Here we sit. Let's take an example of uh, all right. I, I experience myself sitting here. Here I am, this body. Now let's go a little deeper. Is it just a body or is it a body in my experience? Body in my experience, of course. We cannot deny that I'm experiencing a body. I'm aware of a body. It's not just a body. I'm aware of the body. Not only that, one step further. Am I ever, do I ever experience the body apart from awareness? Remember the part, do you ever experience the part apart from the clay? No, impossible. Do you ever experience the body apart from your awareness? There's a trick here, a little trick of language I'm playing because the very word experience involves awareness. You cannot have experience without consciousness or awareness. But it's, it's a fact, very interesting fact. We consider this to be a body. A real thing, such a real gross thing. But we never have any proof of it, or indeed any other thing, apart from the experiencing consciousness. What part of it is experienced apart from consciousness? Nothing. Inside, outside, every experience in the body is experienced in consciousness. Now, if you cannot tell them apart, just like the part, which is a name and form superimposed on clay, in the same way, this body too is a name and form superimposed on consciousness. It's a big step to take. But what I'm suggesting here is, we think of ourselves as bodies with consciousness. There's a body in this, there is consciousness. That's what we think normally. What Vedanta is trying to transform us into is, Consciousness in which we experience bodies. And sometimes we don't experience bodies. Sometimes we are consciousness without bodies. When? Every day when you dream, an entirely different experience comes. This body, if we were bodies, if we were basically, if I was a body with consciousness, then sleeping would be like, I am lying down on the bed. That would be my experience because I'm the body. But that's not my experience when I sleep. When I sleep, I dream. And my experience is I've forgotten the body and the bed and I'm in some other place having some other experiences with other people. The whole thing imagined in consciousness. Again consciousness. The dream also disappears. Nothing is there. Blankness, deep sleep. We are aware of the blankness. Not at that moment. We don't say, I am aware of the blankness because even the mind has stopped there. So everything is pervaded by consciousness. Consciousness. All our experiences. 
It's not that we have a body which generates consciousness and we experience the world, rather consciousness in which a body appears. What happened now? We started with the body, like the pot. And we ended up seeing that this pot is nothing but clay. We started with the body, now we end up seeing it's nothing but consciousness. In which names and forms are appearing. Bodies and things and the world and life is appearing. Start with what they, in Sanskrit they will call pot drishti, end with clay drishti. Drishti means view. Start with body drishti, end with brahman drishti. Start with I am body, right here, right now. If you follow this carefully, end with I am consciousness. In which your body is appearing. Nothing is denied. Not one thing in our life is denied. Okay, let me stop here and I'll take a couple of questions. We'll start with you, and then we'll come back here, in the back. Without, say, modern science or anything, how, do we, how did we ever know that there is something called deep sleep? Is it a hypothesis? How did we ever know that we have deep sleep? You require science to tell you that you have deep sleep, you have a major insomnia problem. Do you really require science to tell you that you have deep sleep? Don't we experience deep sleep? Doesn't the person who has never read science ever also know that he or she has deep sleep? When you wake up in the morning, you know you have deep sleep. Yes. But how, no, I mean, deep sleep by definition is something, there is, there is no experience. There is the experience, oh, deep sleep is the not by definition something, there is no experience, no. Experience of blankness. It's an experience of blankness. Yes. If it's an experience, you don't need science to tell you that you are an experience. You experienced it. But or the, something experienced it. But in the waking state, are, am I aware of the fact that I ever experienced blankness? Aren't you? When we wake up in the morning, what do we remember? We remember going to sleep. We may vaguely remember one or two dreams. And we also remember there was nothingness for a while. Otherwise, what would happen is we would remember being awake. We would remember going to sleep. We would remember dreaming and waking up. But we do distinctly have the feeling of, we say, I slept like a log. I didn't know anything. What was that? That not knowing nothing. Here is an interesting thing to understand. Self-awareness. How are we aware of ourselves? Do we need others to tell us that we exist? You come to this class. If somebody asks you who were in the class, you have to look around and you saw, okay, these are the guys, these are people in the class. And later on, if you can report, these people were in the class. If I ask you, how do you know? You say, I saw them. Now, if I ask you, were you in the class? You'll say, yes. And if I ask you, how do you know? Will you say, I saw myself? <laughs> I saw, here I am, so I am, I exist. No. Direct perception, follow this carefully, direct perception reveals objects of perception in the world. You depend upon perception for knowing objects of perception. 
inference reveals knowledge based on perception. It could be science. Entire science is knowledge based on perception, experiment, inference based on that. Mathematics, you draw conclusions, scientific conclusions, based on certain protocols. You have taken certain statistics and you draw conclusions. That's inference, inferential knowledge. There's also another kind of knowledge, you can call it faith-based knowledge. I read about God and heaven. Where did you read about it? In the Veda, in the Puranas, in the Bible. I read about it and I believe it. So that's how I know about God and heaven and all that. In the book. Now tell me, by which perception, by which seeing, hearing, touching, smelling, tasting that you know that you exist? By which inference did you come to the conclusion that you exist? Where did you read in which book that you exist? I don't know if I exist. Do, how do I know I exist? It's not hard to objectively prove no, I exist. Ah, if you are asking, a, he's asking the question that, how do I know I exist? What a strange question. The immediate answer will be, who is asking this question? That we exist is a fundamental fact is the fundamental fact of our life. What we are is, is open to question, but something exists. Shankaracharya puts it very well. He says, Whoever denies the self, it is the self of that very denier. Because without existing, who is denying it? Something is denying it. When I say, I do not exist, who is saying this? I am saying it. Vidyarina, in one of his uh, um, humorous verses in Panchadashi, he says, to say I do not exist is like saying, actually speaking aloud, I don't have a tongue. If I say I do not have a tongue, I actually say it aloud. How are you, the very act of saying it disproves my statement. The very conscious formulation of this thought, I do not exist disproves that statement. Right. There was a question here. Swami, when we are saying, uh, we say that we carry our samskaras or our experiences from birth to birth, who, if the consciousness is only a witness, who is it that is carrying the experiences or our samskaras or karma? So where are samskaras? You can answer this question yourself now. If we look at ourselves, we'll find certain tendencies, certain inclinations in ourselves. I like this, I do not like that, I have a talent for this, I have a disposition for that, I have no talent for that. All these samskaras, tendencies, talents which we have, or lack of them, are we not aware of it? If we just introspect a little, we'll be aware of it. Where do we find them? Samskaras? You tell me yourself, where do you find your samskaras? Mind. It may be the subconscious mind, but definitely in the mind. So if the mind transmigrates, in Vedanta it is called subtle body, sukshma sharira, sukshma sharira, another name linga sharira, which transmigrates from body to body. What dies at death? Physical body. What else is there? The subtle body, the mind, the intellect, memories, habits, samskaras. That gets, that gets transferred to the next birth. And I, the pure consciousness, reflected in that mind, I, am, I feel trapped, identified by that. Here I am with these ideas, desires, samskaras. 
what has happened is I, the pure consciousness, who am all the time free of desires, of samskaras, of, of tendencies, but I identify myself with the mind. This is what we began with. We do not know who we are. At the most, where, how far can we go? At the most, we go to the body or to the mind. Swami Vivekananda suggests a test. He says, sit quietly and say to yourself, I. And if any thought of the body or mind comes, then you are not enlightened yet. <laughs> yes, there's a question there. It's the last one. Both the Hindus and the Buddhists believe in uh, rebirth, reincarnation. Yes. Um, but there seems to be a fundamental difference because the Hindus are very clear that there is this jiva with its subtle body, uh, which is a very mm, well-defined entity, however subtle it might be, at least in our thoughts, which then gets uh, another birth. But the Buddhists don't attribute such a discrete entity that en enters into this new birth. And they're much more subtle about it. And uh, since you studied this particular Madhyamika field as a subject, I would like you to say a few words about the distinction there. Yes. The difference between the Hindus and Buddhists. It's a field which has been studied and debated for just about over a thousand years, from about the time of the Buddha till the last of the great Buddhist um, philosophers, um, Shantarakshita, Kamalashila, the, and, until they left in India. Um, it is true. When the Buddhists say that there is no Atma, what they mean is they're denying the Jivatma, the individual self. The Hindu dualists, like the Nayaikas or Vaisheshikas, they consider the self to be a discrete entity. Now, the difference is mainly at the level of the subtle body. The Buddhists consider subtle body to be a series of changes, not one thing which is going from place to place. The Hindus sometimes seem to imply there is a one entity which is moving from place to place. But look at the similarities between the two positions. All of them, not only, see, all the schools of Hinduism, it's startling to see so many vast differences within Hinduism itself. All of them accept uh, the idea of transmigration, births, from one birth to another birth. All the Buddhist schools accept this, from one birth to another birth. All the Jainas, in fact, all the Indic religions, they say that there are many lives. Not only that, another thing is, this, all of this again in each school comes from the law of karma. The law of karma. It's because of cause and effect, causality, that we, are, we take the position of many lives. Because you cannot exhaust all causality within one life. Quite obviously, there are, we are born with differences. How do you explain the differences unless something existed earlier? And we, are, we end our lives with many things unexhausted. The results of our karma yet to come, good karma and bad karma. How do you explain causes without effects? So effects we see, there must have been causes in past lives. Causes we see in this life, there must be effects in the future. And hence, you accept many lives. So the strong commonality is law of karma and many lives between Buddhism and Hinduism. The difference is in the process. As you said, 
most Hindu dualistic schools talk about a discrete entity transmigrating from body to body. The Buddhists imply a process rather than a thing moving from place to place. The Buddhists imply a, like a stream of consciousness, one entity emerging, dying, another entity emerging, dying. Kshanika Vigyanavada, a series, a stream of consciousness which arises and, and disappears. But tendencies are transmitted. Each appearance is very much like the previous appearance and like the succeeding appearance. And the Buddhists say you, you get an illusion of continuity because they are alike. They come very fast one after another. Yeah. But if there wasn't some element of it being discrete, then how does it, uh, how, how, how does causation follow? Because there has to be a discrete atma. Yes. So right? you, you are taking the Hindu position. But you know, we just want to know how do they explain this stream yes. of consciousness they, kind they, of they evolving? How do they explain the stream of consciousness? How do they explain memory? How do they explain causality? So there'll be big problems, and they have explanations. But there are big problems which arise when you cut off from moment to moment. You see, everything em emerges new at every instant. That is a really big thing to swallow. But uh, modern science seems to be moving more towards that. But as I said, the differences are only at the level of a thing transmigrating and a process which enables transmigration. But the effect is the same. There is, we are now, we feel, here I am with a burden of, an, of many lives in the past. And then something ahead before me. So the commonalities are very important. Yeah. The mechanism, the difference is in the mechanism. Thank you very much. Let's conclude now. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tat Sat Shri Ram Krishna Rupanamastu